Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Hello, hello, and welcome to 2023, The Friday Reporter. First guest is, I mean, I'm just super lucky to catch up with this friend. So thank you for joining me in a conversation with my friend who about 30 years ago, I tried to convince to join my sorority in college. This is how long Jeanette and I have been friends. Jeanette Hoffman is the president of Marathon Public Affairs, but that doesn't even, that doesn't even scratch the surface. Thank you, my friend, for being with me. I am so excited to be on your podcast, Lisa. I'm such a fan and we are just, we go back so far. I can't believe you said 30 years. Now people know how old we are. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we were, we were infants back then, right? I mean, right. let's tell no we one. We were prodigies. We were going to college at like 10. Right. <laughs> um, but Jeanette, you and I, we have such, like our, it's amazing to me how we became friends in college and then both were like just two young females in an all-male town in Trenton, uh, working in politics, working in government, doing all of these things that we have done now to really sort of get us to where we are today. Our careers are quite similar. I'm here in D.C., you're in New Jersey, but you are like a super sought-after spokesperson and and just sort of a, a, you do so much on air too, in addition to giving great counsel to your clients. Talk to me a little bit about, for those who don't know your background, give me a little, walk me through a little bit of your background and how you got started. Sure. Well, our backgrounds, as you said, are eerily similar, right? We both went to the College of New Jersey, which was Trenton State at one point in time when we both started and then switched over to TCNJ. Um, and I got my background interning for Governor Whitman. I think you also uh, either well, you worked in the Whitman administration too. I did. Um, and it was just super fun interning there. And it was very different at that time. As you said, it was not a lot of women were there. Um, well, Governor Whitman was such a great role model being the first woman governor and still the only woman governor right. and a Republican. So it was just fantastic working in that administration. Um, but I just loved politics and I loved being around it. The second I started as, you know, a 21 year old, um, mm-hmm. God, we were so young. Yeah. <laughs> But it was just fantastic. You just got to do, they let you do everything. And we were just so fortunate and so lucky to be able to tackle all those issues and just be a sponge and absorb everything and learn everything. And and immediately, I was a communications major. Um, I minored, well, I started a minor in political science. I didn't finish it because I wanted to graduate in four years. Um, Go figure. And uh, I loved political communication specifically because I just loved how you can take these complex issues and just boil them down to quick sound bites and really just, you know, boil things down for everyday people to understand really complicated issues. Um, So I uh, worked in the Whitman State House in constituent relations where a lot of people got their start. Mm-hmm. Um, John Stewart worked in constituent relations, the comedian, <laughs> uh, in that OCR office. I had forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget who he worked for. Maybe it was Florio. 
I don't know. It wasn't Whitman, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just a really cool place to be. We worked with really fun people. And then I worked in the Assembly Republican office and I worked on a campaign for the 14th Republican uh, candidates. And I think you worked also that same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in 11. Mm-hmm. County in 11. Yeah. And then I worked for the Republican State Committee where you also were. So I think we were like pretty much on parallel tracks. It's amazing. There. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think, though, the one thing, Jeanette, that I always often sort of boast and brag about is the fact that, you know, the state people forget that there is no really sort of dedicated media market. So we have to punch above our weight every day. So as we're trying to like break through with these news stories, we're trying really to sort of cross the barrier into New York and Philadelphia, right? I mean, there's just, that's really the biggest piece, right? So like those are the markets that actually cover New Jersey, except that there's this really robust inside the state set of news outlets, right? So some of them are now, I mean, of course, they're all owned by Gannett or, you know, some other sort of monopoly, if you will. But there are also a lot of these locals, these weeklies, these other like tremendous publications that are really, that make it really interesting. You do a ton of TV. You're on, you're, you're doing a lot of broadcasts. I still see you do so much. Tell me a little bit about the marketplace has changed since I was there. Tell me a little bit about the the kind of broadcast work that you do today. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so 20 years ago, it was very different. Like the state house had like a dedicated New Jersey bureau with the New York times, like New York times reporters would sit in the state house, right? They don't have that anymore. That's like totally gone. Um, Digital is really rising in New Jersey. There's, you know, all these new digital outlets that there weren't there 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I do do a lot of broadcast TV in New Jersey. Uh, My nine is a New Jersey affiliate. I'm on a uh, weekly TV show called New Jersey. Now it's one of the only public affairs TV shows um, besides New Jersey spotlight um, that exists in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So that's super fun. I mean, I get to talk about public affairs issues in New Jersey, which, you know, a lot of, you know, because like you said, it's New York and Philly, they barely, barely touch on it. Uh, You know, unless there's like a really big story about Governor Murphy, they don't cover the day-to-day activities about the New Jersey legislature. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do it on Channel 9. That's about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like super important to know what's going on in your state. So I feel fortunate that I get to talk about that on on a weekly basis. Um, But like you said, the, the media market has changed so much. I mean, Gannett controls like 10 weekly, uh, 10 daily newspapers in New Mm. Jersey. Mm -hmm. And just had major cuts and there's just more to come. And like, I feel like I worry. Well, that's not true. I had Steve Kornacki on the show a couple months back who you and I know from a a long time ago. I mean, we knew him before he was, you know, the man, which he is, of course, now uh, super well known across the country as sort of being this tremendous, um, analyst of political data, but we knew him when he was on, I mean, we had to use dial up internet to get to politics <laughs> NJ, right? And I had David Wildstein on the show who has, you know, he was the he was the brainchild. He was the one who brought that all to us. So New Jersey, like, because we don't have a market, we also sort of figure out how to be telling our story. We had to be, um, you know, reinventing ourselves every single few years, long before people were going to politics you know, Politico, they were going to politics NJ, they were dialing up to get their political gossip and news. So I would imagine that where you are um, doing that broadcast now for nine is just another way to give people access to what they need to know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, sometimes I joke, I'm like, who's actually watching this show? But I was talking to a colleague from a business organization the other day, and he was like, thank you so much for talking about our survey to our members, because, you know, you were, you're like the only one, you know, who understands it and it can really communicate it well. And, you know, people do watch it. And I was, you know, talking about, I think the Cade Malinowski race one day in, in the summer and NRCC actually retweeted a clip of me talking about it. So right. people actually do watch it. And uh, funny enough, <laughs> Tom Kane's campaign used a clip of me in their commercial um this past <laughs> campaign cycle so it's hilarious we all grew I'm, up I'm together on, it's like yeah, it's I'm on super... network tv and tom kane's commercial people were like do you know you're in tom kane's commercial it's it's it was like a five second clip that's but, uh, so fun people do watch it and mm -hmm. it, it does matter because it is one of the only public affairs shows on in new jersey and uh you know going back to what you said about david wildstein and, and politics NJ, he is doing a phenomenal job with New Jersey Globe. And I know you read it, but nobody else is reporting on the insides, insides and outs of campaigns in New Jersey from the local level up to the congressional level. And he's holding online debates with, with candidates that nobody else is doing. I know. So he is reinventing media as we speak. It's going it's, it's to continue to grow too, because people need to know. And what's so funny, I have to tell you this funny story. Um, I mean, a lifetime ago, I don't even think I had a second kiddo at the time. So this is like, I mean, my, and my kids are driving cars now. So this is like way, way past a long time ago. I had a meeting with uh, the Republican leader of the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, for some order of business. And he asked, you know, what part of the U.S. I was from. And I told him New Jersey. And he said that was unfortunate. And I said, well, now wait a minute. What do you mean by that? And he really sort of, because, you know, he really looks through everything through a political lens. He said to me, he said, New Jersey is one of those states that every year we have a Senate race there that as we get closer and closer to Election Day, it looks really close. I mean, really yeah. close to the point where we actually make some commitment, um, you know, monetary commitment to, to to see it through. And the polls show us that things are really moving in our direction. He said, but there's a story in Greek mythology. And he said, I can't even remember who the story, what the name of the goddess is, but she's this beautiful woman and boats are drawn to the island. And just as they get to the shore, the boat crashes. He says, New Jersey is that, is that, that island. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that so funny? But because of that, like I, that to me is sort of, I point that out only because nobody can really figure it out. Right. I mean, it's definitely a bellwether. I mean, everybody was so wrapped up in what happened this year. But the truth is, is that was like you're gearing up for a big year next year. Next year is the year for New Jersey. Nobody in New Jersey is like holding their breath about what's going to happen in the, on the national side, on the federal side, because the real fight where real stuff happens is coming up. And New Jersey always has an election. So like you're just gearing. You're not even you're not even in your busy cycle yet. It's coming. Right. Yeah, 2023. I mean, people are really excited about it um, for a couple of reasons. In 2021, I mean, no one predicted Murphy to almost lose, um, but he almost did. Jack Chitterelli came pretty darn close of beating him, the Republican. Mm -hmm. And the legislature, they picked up seven seats, six in the Assembly and one in the Senate. And the Senate president, Steve Sweeney, who's a Democrat, like super popular, was going to run for governor. He lost and no one saw that coming. To a, to a truck driver so, who invested like $1. fifty in the whole yeah. campaign. <laughs> yeah, he like barely campaigned. He had like a Facebook page and right. like a, a website for $12 right. or something like that. Right? So what are you thinking? So, what does that mean for, for 2023? Like what's coming up? So give us a preview of what you're looking at. Well, we just had a redistricting process in New Jersey and Republicans 
really feel good about it. Usually we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't Usually the Democrats get the best of us in redistricting, and they certainly did that in the congressional campaign, congressional redistricting process. But the legislative redistricting process looks pretty good. So, uh, you know, we're thinking we could either, you know, take control of the legislature or at least keep it pretty close to the fact where Democrats are going to have to fight over every you know, close vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a, they picked up a lot of seats in South Jersey, and we think, you know, we have a really good shot this year. That's amazing. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Pretty exciting. Yeah. And, it, and it always seems to be that whatever happens on the federal level tends to sort of swing back in New Jersey. But but we didn't really see that big wave that we were expecting here in, you know, on the national level. We didn't see any of that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what that means and how that plays out in New Jersey this year. Because really, that's sort of an indicator, I think, for the presidential as we go into 24. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm excited about Tom Kane going to Congress. I really think that was such a huge win. I mean, he's he's going to be, you know, we're all friends with him, Lisa. I think he's just going to be such a great member. I mean, yeah. he just represents that district so well. He he has in the Assembly and the Senate. He's such a great public servant, and he's such a great guy. I, I just think he's going to be so fantastic. Well, I mean, we've obviously known him since he was the son of the great governor, right? And so like we've watched him sort of meteorically rise and and do what he's going to do. So that'll be fun to watch. So when you are, I mean, New Jersey's so chock full of great stories, Jeanette, it's hard for me to even ask you to pick one or two that you've like especially enjoyed sort of having to speak up about. Um, But is there something you can think about that you... um, talked about on you know the the public affairs show is there something that sort of really sort of stands out as one of your favorite or funniest moments well the craziest story of the past year has to be this whole murder for hire story of sean cattle who is this democratic operative in new jersey that everybody knew he was in union county he worked for state senator ray lesniak he was even on you know u.s senator bob menendez's campaign as a gotv guy He was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill another political operative, right? And he he is still awaiting trial. He's sitting in his home on house arrest. Like he's not even in prison. (laughs) And it's it's like a combination of the Sopranos and House of Cards. Like only in New Jersey does this stuff happen, right? And nobody can figure out, like they think he's cooperating with the feds. Nobody can figure out like like who he's going to flip on or what's going on. Now, Tony Teixeira, who was very also connected to him, and he he was the Senate President Nick Scatari, another Democrat. He was his chief of staff. He was just arrested on tax evasion, and they think Sean Cattle somehow connected and flipped on him. Wow. So it's like, we, where the cards are going to fall, like where this all leads to, nobody knows. But it's just like one of those only in New Jersey stories that like you, you're like, what the heck? Nobody saw it coming. It's just totally crazy. And we think it's going to play out even further because his sentencing has been postponed like three times now. So nobody knows like what it's going to lead to or where all the cards are going to fall. Shoe, more shoes to drop, right? More yeah, to come. Exactly. It's amazing. Totally crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's all, I, I don't know that it's only in New Jersey, but like we really do a pretty spectacular job of having fantastic stories every year. And it's always one better than the next. Right. I mean, you and I were around long enough to have I mean, well, we could go on for days. We won't do that here. But there's so many names and so many characters. And the show is just so good. It's too good not to watch, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it's like if you wrote a made for TV movie about it, you wouldn't believe it. Right. It's just too <laughs> fantastic. It's, it's too out of this world. Totally. And then agree. of course, you know, our, our U.S. Senator Bob Menendez is once again under federal investigation, but that just seems to continue decade after decade. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be a perennial story that comes back around again and again. And his son's now in the Congress too. So that'll make for interesting. I had to, I had to clarify that the other day. They said, well, I think he's a member of the Senate. I said, well, I think he's a junior. So he's the son, right? <laughs> It's like one of those things. Um, All right. So when you're not broadcasting and talking about public affairs in New Jersey and getting yourself featured in, uh, in, you know, advertisements for members who are running for office um, with four kiddos at a very, very wide range of ages and running like, so marathon public affairs, because you are a marathon runner. How many are you up to now, girl? I'm I'm up to four and then like about a dozen half marathons. Oh my God. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're a marathoner too. <clears throat> uh, yeah, but I, it's been uh, like almost 20 years. So I feel like maybe I should, <laughs> I've hung up my shoes, girl. Once a marathoner, always a marathoner, but I like my knees. So I'm going to keep them for a little yeah. while longer. What else keeps you busy though? Like what do you, um, I mean, you obviously have so many things to read before you, before you go on the show, before you have to walk into a client's office. Like, with as many counties and as many legislators, what is it, what is your like must read in the morning? Like when you get up, like what do you have to read before you get started with your day? Well, I'll say Politico Playbook by Matt Friedman really is like my cheat cheat sheet because yeah. he keeps it simple, right? You, he aggregates everything, all the stories. He's got a nice Jersey snark to it, right? Like the great headlines are funny. Yeah. Um, so I go to that. Then I go to New Jersey Globe. As I said, David Wildstein does a great job of keeping everything like hyper local. Mm-hmm. Um, the top intos are great local sites too. I don't know. You know, those are, are super fun and local. Um, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all, mm-hmm. you know, the, the regular must reads. Um that keeps me busy. Um, you know, uh, uh, my kids keep me super busy and I know you have two driving. I have two driving. I also have two in preschool. So <laughs> that keeps it, yeah, you girl. know, it, it's, really, it's really a fun mix. Tell me though. Okay. So uh, you'll kill me if I wasn't supposed to ask this question, but it's a great question. And I have to ask because you are not only uh, a Republican powerhouse spokesperson, you're also married to a democratic operative yourself, which must continue to bring like a lot of joy and hilarity to the house every day. Is that true? I mean, are you guys constantly debating? Tell me, tell me. Kitchen table conversations are fun. Uh, I will tell you that. Um, So uh, there's a lot of times that we do agree, Uh, you know, particularly like when like the far right goes crazy, like I can't get on board with that. Right. Right. But um, you know, he's, he's, I would say he's more progressive than Mm -hmm. I am like to the right. Like I'm a pretty moderate Republican, Mm -hmm. but he's, he's, like pretty far to the left. Like I can't get behind some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> there, there will be times when like, we're just going to have to like agree to disagree and just yeah. take it there. We, Call an impasse. Not getting anywhere. <laughs> yeah, What's for dinner. Anywhere. We're not getting to a consensus <laughs> at all. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. And as some of our client issues, we completely like, we could never join our firms together because we would just be conflicted out all the time. Yeah, of course. So he has his firm. I have my firm. And yeah. But I think that's so true of the Northeast. Like, I feel like that's kind of where I come back to always. Like, I make jokes about how I'm a Republican from New Jersey, and then people sort of challenge whether or not that makes me a Republican anywhere else in the world. But um, but I also think, too, pragmatically speaking, like in public affairs, we're in the friend-making business, right? I mean, for the most part, we're trying to find a way to, you know, cut through the 
see the political lines and where they are, but also be able to cut through that and identify ways to be um, smart and thoughtful, especially in a marketplace that isn't necessarily always going to take your story that you're selling for your clients. So it's great that you guys also have that sort of public affairs uh, point of view, because I think that that you can bounce ideas off one another. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, like I, I get that some media in New Jersey may lean left. Right. But like, I just think when you're coming at something and you're, you're pitching someone's opinion, like an op-ed, I, I don't understand why some media won't take it. Like this is, you know, you're just sharing an opinion of someone. So, you know, it's, it's, it can be challenging to find, you know, outlets that are even accepting of others' opinions. So, um, New Jersey is challenging that way. I feel like 20 years ago, it was more center. Yeah. Than it is, it is I think it also was easier too, though, Jeanette, don't you think? Like, I feel like the world has really changed in its, in like the, the op-ed game and the pitch game in general. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely has changed a lot. Um, the digital era, the digital era has definitely helped things. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not completely waiting on print editors to run things like 10 days from now. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. So, you know, that does definitely open up a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And so I think social is definitely a benefit. Um, it definitely has its, its drawbacks too. the, you know, social media. Yeah. Well, no, there's no, I mean, there's, I can see the pluses and the minuses and I'm glad that it didn't exist when you and I were in college. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I feel for our children. Yeah. I'll say that. Well, either that or it'll make them really good at PR. Um, <laughs> what, uh, I would hope goodness. Um, what are you like, are there any cool tactics? So, so many of the tactics that we use today are similar to the past, but have you had a campaign in, and by, I mean like issue campaign or issue that you're working on for clients. Have you had any recent success that you think was like a, maybe a new trend that you're going to look at for future clients? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, social has been more important, I think. Mm-hmm. Which platform do you, had. which platform do you typically are you drawn to Twitter? Yeah. Still public affairs campaigns. Definitely Twitter. Yeah. Um, I do. Well, I've had one client really want more voices on Facebook. Interesting. Um, more of a grassroots because it has more of a grassroots feel. Sure. Um, but when targeting elected officials, it's just easier on Twitter. Definitely still Twitter. Although, yeah. you know, I feel like every day I, I go to check, I'm worried about whether or not it's still going to be there. So maybe it's going to force us to, you know, with the whole new ownership and everything else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I think that's interesting. Social still, and because social is really where people are, right? You're supposed to meet your audiences where they're, where they're congregating and people are still very much on social. That's where they're getting their information. Yeah. 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 And and I think that's, that's the, the danger for journalism is that most people are getting their, their news from social. Yeah. Places like Annette, they're, they're, sales are declining and they're laying off journalists and you know it's it's because everyone is gravitating towards social media sources for their news and what's so interesting too i heard heard not that long ago i actually i I read i'm reading and and just finishing up chris steyerwalt's second book where he talks about sort of like media consolidation and how um as news outlets get bought by more and more of these conglomerates the the shrinking of the local news is so much so that people are being more drawn to national news, which is why we're feeling sort of this agitation at a national level. Whereas before we might've been hearing more agitation at a very, very local level about like, you know, what, whatever it is that we need to care about. 
That's interesting. Although, I don't know, have you, have you gone on your Facebook uh, neighbor group lately? <laughs> There's a lot of agitation. I have to quiet those down, Jeanette, because those really do agitate me a little bit more than they ought to. <laughs> All right. So uh, enough of the news and enough of the PR. Um, okay. So what's um, what's up for the holidays? I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're going into the new year, right? So this is our new year episode. What, now that we're past that point... Um, what are you looking forward to in 2023? I'm looking forward to my family staying healthy. Yes. <laughs> because Amen. Weeks, we've had a lot of COVID, flu, colds. Yeah. So number one is just health and, you know, keeping everybody happy. And Amen healthy. to that. But um, number two is just, you know, a successful business. Um, you know, we ha- I had a great 2022, fantastic clients, you mm. know, great public affairs campaign. Really liked what I've been able to do with you know, broadcasting New Jersey Now. Um, exciting uh, election year for, I think, New Jersey, a Republican Party. Um, you know, I, I'm interested just to see national politics where, where things evolve, too. Yeah. Um, I am not a Trump person, so I'm interested to see what's going to shape up with the presidential primary. Yeah, that's going to be a big, it's going to be a big year, I think, for a lot of that. Um, And it would be remiss for me not to mention just recently. um, I mean, I feel like every time I check in with you, you're added to a new board or you're winning another (laughs) award. And I mean that sincerely because you are a superstar. And that's why I wanted to just chat with you for the podcast. Um, So many rising stars, too in the state, in New Jersey? Are you doing some mentoring? Are you identifying some other people too to sort of bring up in the political space? I know the one I'm thinking of specifically is the political caucus, the Women's Political Caucus just recently gave you an award for being a superstar, which we all know. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm on the board of Women's Political Caucus. I love it. Um, You know, one of the one of the people that I really think is a rising star is uh, Samantha D. Almeida. She's actually um, chairing the Republican task force of the Women's Political Caucus. She is president of Associated Builders and Contractors of New Jersey. She's, uh, you know, I think she is, she, if she is 30, she's just barely 30. Oh, but I love a, it. Yeah, she's fantastic. That's so awesome. That's, yeah, a person I love to work with, and she's got a really bright future. But yeah, and I just joined the board of the Jersey Shore Partnership, which is a fantastic organization dedicated to beach replenishment, beach preservation, since I do live by the Jersey Shore, which mm-hmm. I know that's where you grew up. So mm-hmm. it's near and dear to your heart as well. That's so, um, that's awesome. I love it. That's so cool. All right. So as we get to the end of our conversation, who should I have on for a future episode of the podcast for this year? Well, uh, see, there's so many good choices. Uh, have you had on David Chen from the New York Times? No, I have not. David's great. He's a New Jersey resident, but he, he, works for the New York Times. Uh, he's covered, he's an investigative reporter. He's covered New Jersey. He's covered Bridgegate. He's uh, right now, I think he's doing some sports title nine investigative journalism, but I think he's going to cover some more political things in the future. Awesome. So he's, he's really great. Okay. Be a great choice. Awesome. And that's today's Friday reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.